So if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. That's where we will be at as we focus on this special time of the year. It's a time of reflection, a time of considering your life. One of the most important questions that you will ever ask yourself is, who am I? And that question, the answer of that question, will change the direction of your life. It will change what you do with your life. That simple question is important to you. And some people may be here this morning, and they may examine their lives this time of the year, and they may be encouraged, liking what they have accomplished with their life so far, liking what they accomplished last year. However, many will probably be like me, where I will say there's probably some things that we could work on and that I could work on. In fact, the stats of New Year's resolutions reflect that. The stats on New Year's resolutions point to the majority of Americans feel like they could either lose a little weight or spend a little less money. That is what it points us to. And it also points and says that the only reason they don't do that is because of a lack of perseverance. We see in the statistics that 45% of the Americans would have made New Year's resolution this time of the year, but only 8% will follow through with it. While the Bible is interested in the question, who are you, who am I, I want us to ask a little different question this morning, and I want us to ask this, who are we? Meaning, who are we going to be as a church? What do we desire to be? When I first started coming to New Plainview, we only had five members, and now we have a few more than that. It may not feel like it this morning, but we do. And we have many, many more kids than that. And now that we are here, I want us to ask ourselves, what is our goal? What are we striving after? What is our pursuit, our aim? This is an important question to any organization, but it is doubly important for the church, who is to be the light of the world, the light in a dark and dying world. In our text this morning, we see the very first mission of the very first church, what they dedicated their life to. And in our text, our passage this morning, we will find that in the context that Jesus has ascended into heaven, that he has left, his, uh, he has left earth to go back to heaven, and he has left his disciples and his apostles. Remaining together, they began to pray, waiting on the Holy Spirit to come, who Jesus said he would send. And in the beginning of Acts 2, we will find that the Holy Spirit did come and Peter would preach his very first sermon. And we will pick up our reading this morning at the end of his sermon in verse 37. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we'll read our text, Acts 2, 37 through 47 this morning. It says this, and now when they heard this, when they heard Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God is calling to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, words were baptized, and 
there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And here we get to our text that we will focus on this morning, verses 42 to 47. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This ends the reading of God's word this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. In our verses this morning, we find the birth of the church. Peter is preaching, and the church grows from 120 people to over 3,000 people in one day. In our text, we find that Luke lays out for us the call to the church, what the focus of the church should be. He does so in a summary statement, which will be our main focus this morning, and it is found in verse 42, where he says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That is where they concentrated their focus. And this morning, I want us to glean from this text first that they were a church that was devoted. You see, everyone values something. You value something in life. Everyone dedicates themselves to something or some things in life. And we know that some things that we value cost us more than other things. And we also know that at least the bare minimum of our values, the bare minimum of what we dedicate our to will cost us our time. And we know that some things are harder than others to devote ourselves to. Being dedicated to working out is much harder than being dedicated to your favorite uh, television show. In our text this morning, Luke tells us that these 3,000 people who proclaimed faith in Christ and were baptized devoted themselves. That one word, devoted, tells us two truths this morning. It first tells us of the characters, the, the characteristics of the people who made up the church, that they were devoted, and that devotion showed the genuineness of their faith. As they remained faithful, as they continued walking the walk of Christianity, in their devotion, they were proving themselves to be Christians. We have to be careful here. I want to make sure you hear me correctly in this moment. I am not saying that you must remain faithful in order to be saved, as if faithfulness or devotion is the thing that saves you. However, the Bible is very clear that those who belong to Jesus devote themselves to him. There is a subtle difference here, but it is an important difference. We do not work for our salvation, but good works flow out of our salvation. We are a new creation when we place our faith in Christ. We become God's workmanship. Jesus tells us that devotion is a mark of, a gen- of genuine salvation. In John 8, 31, he states, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. 
He goes on to say in John 15 that the true branch abides in the vine, meaning that those who are truly his remain. They follow him. They continue in faith. And John will give us a counter example about the false believers in 1 John 2.19, where he states, they went out from us because they were not of us. They, if they would have been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out so that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So we see the first church were made up of those who remain. They were devoted. They continued. They were committed but there's another church, that, or there's another truth that we can find in this one word, devoted. It is that the Christian life is not easy. As, as we have noted, that devotion has a sense of continuing in something, it has a, a sense of perseverance. We do not talk this way about things that are easy in life. We do not say, I persevere when I watch my favorite TV show. I do not persevere when I eat chocolate chip cookies that I love. But we talk about this way in things that are challenging in life. The, the hard things are the things that we must persevere, that we must devote ourselves to. And as we see in Luke this morning, these early Christians devoted themselves to the church. In the life of the Christian, we see, is not easy. The devotion tells us that it takes time, it takes effort, it takes perseverance, that there will be seasons in your life where you have no desire to read the Bible, but you must study. There'll be seasons in your life where you want to draw away from everybody. You don't want to have Christian fellowship, but you must engage. There will be seasons in your life where the last thing you want to do is pray, but the Bible declares and devotion declares that in those seasons, that is when you most need to pray. The Christian race is a hard one. It is not easy. Paul speaks of the Christians running a race this way. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control unless after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified, saying that he disciplines himself. It takes discipline even for the apostle Paul. It takes self-control in order to be devoted. So we see this morning, the new believers were devoted. But that leads us to another question. It leads us to a question of what were they devoted to? What did they devote themselves to this morning? And we see it in our text in verse 42, where they said they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to the word. The early church would often sit underneath the teachings, the teaching ministry of the apostles. They would speak all the things that Jesus had said and had done. It is this teaching that we now have written in our Bibles. That is what we read. We read about what Jesus did and how to apply that to our lives. It is in the teachings that we still must obey. We must still obey and be devoted to this word. I do not believe that this is an accident that Luke gave this as the first devotion of the church. It is the most critical for us. We must be devoted to the word. And in the church's devotion to the word, we see the apostles were fulfilling the command in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus commanded them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. 
They, he goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The Bible is important. Devotion to the word is important. Paul will go on to say in Romans 10, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the word of God that brings us to initial salvation and initial faith. And then he will go further and tell Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scripture does not only bring us to salvation, but it leads us to good works. The scripture is critical. And a healthy congregation consumes a healthy diet of scripture and sound teaching. It feasts on the word of God. And in verse 46, we see that that's exactly what they did. That day by day, they attended together the, the temple where they listened to the teachings of the apostles. And surely, as they went into each other's homes, it was the word that was on their lips as they broke bread together. So as we sit here today, a legacy of this very first church, that if it wasn't for these people being devoted, that we wouldn't be here at New Plainview, we must ask ourselves, who are we going to be? Who are we? As my desire, or my desire this year, and for New Plainview, is that we can say that we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, that we are devoted to scripture. And what does this mean for us as a church? It first means that our services are to be saturated with scripture, that it is the word of God that is to govern what we do. That as we read the word together, as we pray together, as we listen together the, of the preaching of the word, that that is what we focus on. This means, practically, that as we sing songs, there's songs that are filled with the gospel, that they're filled with scripture. That when we pray, we pray the promises of the Bible, that we pray the truths of the Bible. That when anybody stands up here and, preach, and preaches, then you can look down at your text of, of scripture and say, I see where he's getting that from. This isn't just made up stuff, but he is tracking through the word. I can see why he is saying what he is saying. This places an expectation on me and anyone who gets up and preaches and gets up and sings, but it also puts an expectation on you. That when you come, when we come together, we are people who have read the word. That's an expectation on you, that you read God's word, that you study it. That when we speak to one another, that we don't speak just about casual things. Yes, it's important to know what's going on in life, but that we speak to each other about what God is teaching us through his word, what he is making us learn and what we are, he is doing in our lives. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. As a church, this is very hard to do, but it takes what the first church had. It takes devotion. It will take some perseverance. The apostles' teaching wasn't the only thing that they were devoted to, our text tells us. They were also devoted to fellowship. And fellowship is one of those words that Christians misunderstand very often, especially in American Christianity. Many people think that if we just simply sit around and talk, then we are fellowshipping. And that is not the case. Biblical fellowship includes much more than that. Biblical fellowship flows, the Bible tells us, from our relationship with God. 
John tells us this in 1 John 1 and verse 3, where he says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, we, complain, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That it is our common fellowship with the Father, our common fellowship with his Son, that leads us into fellowship with one another. That truth is critical in our lives. It points out that fellowship is critical with one another. That fellowship is what is the barometer of your Christian walk. That if you're out of fellowship with God's people, then you are, it is an indicator that you just may be out of fellowship with God because one causes the other. Fellowship is that important in your life. So that means that we must understand what does it mean to have biblical fellowship. The word fellowship is translated and it has a, a sense of partnership, generosity, and general friendship. That it tells us that these infant church, that they saw themselves committed to one another. Acts 2 in verse 44 and 45 speaks to the effort that they went to to cultivate this friendship and fellowship and generosity towards one another. Our, our text tells us, and all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. In these two verses, we can glean two truths for us today. First, that they knew one another, that these 3,000 people knew one another, that they opened up to one another, that they knew the needs of their community. This is one of the hardest things about true biblical fellowship, is that we must open up to one another. And this stands against our pride. And we are naturally prideful people. Biblical fellowship is vulnerable. It is able to say to one another, I need your help. I do not have all this figured out. That will you walk with me through this? Biblical fellowship lets others into your life. But that's only half of the meaning of this word fellowship. It does not only know the needs of others, but fellowship cares about the needs of others. We see it in our text this morning. They, just, they did not just know the needs of their community, but they acted on them, walking alongside of one another and taking care of one another. Our text this morning states that the believers had all things in common and that they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds as anyone had need. Some people use this verse to support a, a sort of communism, a sort of uh, communal living. However, that is not what this verse is teaching us this morning. They sold their property as there was needs. In verse 46, we see that they still had houses now, they still met together in houses. The word selling that is translated out of Greek into English is in the imperfect tense. And for all those who are not English teachers like me, what that means is that this was a reoccurring, continual practice. And it is telling us that as the needs would arise, that they would address the needs, sharing with the needy, as Deuteronomy 15.4 states, that there be no poor among you. Biblical fellowship taught them to value people over their own stuff. That is what this scripture is teaching us this morning. And this is backwards from humanity as a whole, that we cling to our stuff. We are naturally selfish and greedy people. 
How do they get to this point? We must ask ourselves, how do you get to the point where you see someone in need and love them enough to sell your own goods? We see it in our text this morning that they spent time together and much of it was over food. We see it back in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. There is a debate whether this breaking of bread in verse 42 is referring to the Lord's Supper or is it for referring to just simple table fellowship, simple breaking of bread and spending time with one another. And to me, the answer is clear in verse 46 where Luke tells us that day by day they attended the temple and they broke bread in their homes receiving their food. That they ate together. That is what this is emphasizing here, that they spent time with one another not only in the temple, but in each other's homes, sharing the needs and truly caring about one another. Not doing, this does not happen overnight, and they knew this. It was a process. It took time. It took lots of effort. This would not be easy. As with devotion to the word, they must be devoted to fellowship. They worked on it. So as we examine who are we going to be here at New Plainview, how are we going to follow this example of fellowship? There are a few takeaways for us. Our text reminds us that spending time together is important, that it is to be a priority in our life. As a church, if we are to build true fellowship with one another, that we must do so by breaking bread, by spending much time with one another. If we're going to accomplish the commands of all the one another's, to love one another, to care for one another, then we must spend time to get to know one another. And when we get together, when you break bread with others in the church, and when you make that a priority in your life, it must be more than just talking about football games or the casual things in life, but you must be able to share and open up with your desires, your goals, your dreams, the struggles, your needs. That is what we must share with one another. We must do so, and the best way to do so, as our text tells us, is often over food in one another's house. This is why we took a few months off of our Wednesday nights. And I know many of y'all were the ones who came every Wednesday. And I know life is able to fill voids very quickly. But I challenge you to pursue one another. This month, before we start up Wednesdays again in February, I challenge you, have someone in your home. Spend time loving on one another and open up and talk more than just football or day-to-day -day life. Share what God is teaching you. Share what God is doing in your life and ask what God is doing in other people's lives. It is only then will we bring, and we, then, it's only then that we will build true biblical fellowship. So we see they were devoted. They were devoted to, to fellowship. They were devoted to the word of God. But lastly, we see they were devoted to prayer. Throughout the book of Acts, we see examples and illustrations of a prayerful Christian church. We see the apostles were dedicated to prayer. That the believers 
They would pray corporately together, and then they would pray separately. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in their homes. They prayed as they walked down the road. They prayed before a sermon was preached, and then they prayed before they heard that sermon. They prayed for the sick, the needy, the persecuted. They prayed for their daily bread and their daily needs. They prayed thanking God for sending Jesus to forgive them of their sins. All this reminds us that we are to be a praying church. These early Christians had few earthly resources, but they were able to shake the world for Christ. They would do so all through the aid of passionate prayer. And this is one of the places that I feel like I am most convicted about in my own life and in our, the life of our church. Can we say that we are devoted to prayer? Can we say that we're devoted to crying out for the needs of others and the salvation of our family and our neighbors? Does it reflect in our life that we are, we are dependent on God or that we have our faith in ourselves? In my case, all too often, I feel like it is the latter, that I have faith in my own two hands, my own skills. Because we have such a great need for prayer as a church, as a county, and as a nation, I want to introduce something that I'm calling the Fasting Three. Uh, this is not something I came up with. John Piper started it up in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota a long time ago. And the Bible is clear. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, assuming that his people will be one who longs for him to return, and that they long that he does a work in their neighbor's life and in their life. So when you fast. And I am now calling the church to a year of fasting. And before you freak out, let me explain what I mean. I have cards. I think they, Brianna brought them. I left them at the house, but Brianna brought them. I have cards that I'm calling the fasting three cards, and I'm going to set them out on the table. And what they're going to be is if you pick up one of them cards for that month, you're dedicating yourself to fasting four times, once a week. And you're going to fast for 24 hours from dinner to dinner or lunch to lunch, however you want to do it. I typically do dinner to dinner. So I eat dinner one night and I won't eat again till the next dinner. And the purpose of this is that we would be a praying people. On the back of the card, there are three things to pray for. That you, as you are hungry during that day, that your soul would be lifted to pray for our neighbors, for our church, and for one another. That is my desire. Then the next month, there would be three more cards out there. And I will remind you of those cards and a different set of three, the same three. Whoever wants to pick up the mantle will take it from there. So in closing, I want us to ask probably the most important question when we address this text, and that is why. Why would we do this? This is going to cost us. If we are going to be a church that takes up this task, it's going to cost us. Why would we do so? Our text is, is clear. It gives us four reasons why we would devote ourselves to the word, to each other, and to prayer. We, we find the first at the end of verse 46. The first reason is for our joy. He, our text says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. 
You see, God is our creator and he knows what is best for us. And we know that God is good and that he wants what is best for us. Therefore, we can be confident that when he commands us to do something, he commands what is best for us. And when he commands us to love one another, to dive into his word and to depend on him in prayer, he is asking you to do what will bring you the most joy, what will give you the most good in your life, the most joy in your life and the most life in general. He is asking you to do this for your joy. He, secondly, he is asking a church, our church, to commit to these things for his glory. We see it back in our text in verse 47, that they did so praising God, that as they grew in their understanding of the word, that as they did life together and saw God working in each other, and that when, as they acknowledged their needs for prayer and that they, they saw their prayers answered, their response was glory to God, giving glory to God for revealing to them new things in his word for growing them in love and good deeds and for providing forgiveness and daily bread. Third, our third reason why we would devote ourselves to these things is for the good of our neighbors. As we find in our text that these early Christians found favor with all the people, that their actions won them goodwill with all their neighbors I want to read to you quickly an excerpt from a defense of Christianity. It comes from Aristides. He was a philosopher back in, in 125 AD. This was 90 years after our text this morning. Aristides is writing to Caesar Hadrianus. That was a, a tough one. <laughs> if anybody is looking for a uh, child name, that's a good one. Hadrianus. He is writing to encourage Hadrianus to stop persecuting the church and listen to what he says. Listen to how he describes this church. He says, if any of them have servants or children through love towards them, they persuade them to be Christians. And when they do so, they call them brothers without distinction. They, worship, or they do not worship strange gods and they go on their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem and they deliver orphans from him who treats them harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take them into their home and rejoice over him as a brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but they call them brethren after the spirit. And whenever one of the poor passes from the world, each of them, according to their abilities, gives so they can carefully see to his burial. And if they hear of any of their number imprisoned or afflicted on the account of the name of their Messiah, they all anxiously minister to his necessities. And if possible, they redeem him and set him free. And if there is among them any poor or needy, and if they have no spare food, they will fast two or three days in order to supply the need their lack. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded. My question to you is what would Harrelson County do if there was a church like that in their midst? 
What would the response be? When a church is what the church is supposed to be, then there is a convincing witness of the transforming power of the gospel. When people are loving each other who are so different from one another, the world can't do anything but point and say, how does that happen? And we see our last reason this morning is that the church, the church grows. Notice the last phrase of our text. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that they did not look for the latest church growth program. They did not make the church a seeker-friendly church. They simply remained faithful. Remained faithfully devoted to the word, to fellowship, and to prayer. And we see that God blessed them. God blessed them with joy. God blessed them with favor and he blessed them with growth. So as a church, this is what I desire us to be. I desire us to be committed to these three things. And it will not be easy. It will take great effort. So as we make decisions as a church going forward, and as you make decisions in your life, in your day-to-day life, I challenge you, as you make those decisions, ask yourself, Does this choice help me in my commitment to scripture, to one another, and to prayer? Let's pray. Father God, I just laid out an impossible task for us to accomplish on our own. But you make the impossible possible. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit on this small church, that we would be as Aristides was writing, a church that loves one another, who is dedicated to all that you command us to do, that as you, as people would look at New Plainview, that they would stand in awe, not of how good we are, but how great our God is, how great you are to transform lives to the point where we love one another in abnormal ways. Father, I pray that that would be the case in all of us, that we would make the sacrifices that would be necessary in order to do so. Make sacrifices in our time and how we spend our time. Make sacrifices in being open with one another when we do not feel like being open. Lord, I pray that this would be our heart's desires and that you would lead us in this direction, lead New Plainview in this direction. Lord, we love you and we trust you in all that you do. And we know that you can accomplish even this in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.